I'm going to do a little something different today, different for me at least. Uh, And since I always like to have a beginning point from Scripture, turn with me to Genesis chapter 18. I've just got, uh, I don't really have a message this morning per se, but I've uh, just got some thoughts on fathers. I've never taught on fathers before. Um, it, um, in many years of the church, my family vacation wound up being around Father's Day, and so there were um, many Father's Days that I didn't even, uh, wasn't even the one preaching here at church. Um, and I'm, I've never been one to preach on Mother on Mother's Day or Father on Father's Day, but I just felt impressed by the Holy Ghost yesterday afternoon that uh, that there were some things that, that I need to share, and this is the way that He wanted me to go, so we're going to do that. Somebody asked the little boy what, what uh, to describe Father's Day, what's Father's Day like, and he said, well, it's like Mother's Day, only you don't spend as much. <laughs> I think he's right. At least he's right in my house. Um, it's interesting because when Mother's Day comes around, preachers all over the country, maybe all over the world, I'm not sure how it works in other countries, but uh, uh, preachers all over the country preach on mother and the, the value of motherhood and the importance of motherhood and, and so forth. Father's Day comes around and they beat on the dads that come. Tell them what they ought to be doing that they're not doing and, and so forth. And uh, uh, without question, fathers are the most unappreciated and undervalued asset in this country. You don't hear too much about it, but every now and then you'll hear somebody talk about the breakdown of the family and the, the contribution to, to um, uh, the deterioration of society because of the breakdown of the family. Well, who broke down? Mom never left. Over 95% of the single-parent families in, uh, in America are mothers raising their children. Dad's the one that left. So if there's a breakdown in the family, there's a breakdown in the fatherhood. And I think a lot of that is by design by the enemy, of course. We know that the devil's out to kill, steal, and destroy. And he's made a mockery in many ways of fatherhood. Uh, feminists started saying decades ago that a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. I never have really understood what that's supposed to mean, but I guess I just took away, my takeaway from it was that uh, men and fathers aren't important. Folks, men and fathers are very important. Genesis chapter 18 is something that the Lord really dealt with my heart about uh, uh, even before we had children. It, uh, it talks about um, uh, the time when God appeared into Abraham and... Um, uh, he talked to him about several things. He talked to him about uh, his the son that was yet to come. Isaac had not yet been born. But then he also was going to deal with uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. And it says in verse 17, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Seeing that Abraham... Now, he's, he, seeing means uh, it's uh, he's giving a cause or a reason. There's a reason why God said, I should not hide from Abraham the thing that is coming, that which I'm about to do. And again, he's talking about the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He said, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the, ends of, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him, for I know him. Now, he's talking causation. He's talking about one of the reasons that he's going to become uh, 
the father of many nations and a great nation shall come of him is he said for I know him that he will command his children and his household after him and that they shall keep the way of the Lord to do justice and judgment and that the Lord may bring upon Abraham that which he has spoken of him now you look throughout the, the scripture and this is the closest thing you can find for a reason why God picked Abraham you do realize Abraham was not a Jew don't you There was no such thing as the Jews before Abraham. Abraham was just a man among many, an idol worshiper among many idol worshipers that God chose to make a covenant with. Why? Why him? You can't find a reason. You can't find any place that God ever says, Abraham, I picked you or I am picking you for this reason. This is the closest thing you can get to any description whatsoever about what God said about Abraham as a possible cause for why he chose to make a covenant with him. And notice it has to do with the kind of father he's going to be. That's hard for me to imagine that there wasn't some other guy somewhere that would have been a good father too. But this is the thing that God identifies as the, as the reason, the cause. For the blessing that would come upon him and and the blessing that would come upon all the world, including us, through him. For I know him. I know what kind of father he's going to be. The Lord dealt with me a long time ago that there's a special relationship that belongs to you when you choose to be the right kind of father. I'm not sure that we have enough of those kind of fathers today. And I'm certainly sure that the world, that the the church has done a poor job of identifying the special blessing that, that belongs to us, the special relationship that belongs to us when we are godly fathers. If the, if the family is broken down because the fathers are absent, it's the fault of the church. I think there's a lot of things when we get to heaven. There's a lot of things that, that the Lord's going to hold the church responsible for that we thought was just the world at work. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. Folks, I'm, I'm convinced of that. I believe a lot of the politics in America is going to be laid at the feet of the church. I think a lot of the societal uh, changes and degradation that has occurred in our lifetime is going to be laid at the feet of the church. We should have prayed. We should have known how to pray. We should have done a better job of preaching and letting people know the importance to pray and to act and so forth. That's just me. One of the things, I want you to turn to another verse of Scripture. Turn with me over to Malachi chapter 4. The last two verses in the Old Testament before the hundreds of years of God not speaking. Notice what God said. The last thing he said that we have record of before the Gospels began, the time of the Gospels occurred. Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. He said, Behold, I will send unto you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers. Lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. I want you to notice that he's talking about a curse being upon the earth as a result of a broken relationship between husband, between fathers and sons or children. Sons is just representative children. God must take this pretty serious. 
there's a um, there's a saying, and, and I've, I I believe it's true from my experience in working with people and in my own household. I, I certainly believe it's true. It's said that that children love their mothers, but they follow their fathers. I've seen that truth so many times spiritually. I've seen mothers struggle and struggle and struggle to keep their kids in church. But because dad won't come, the kids wind up drifting away when they get old enough to where they can do that on their own. Children follow their fathers. Uh, There's a true story that happened in Mexico City. There was a a father who decided that he wanted to, uh, he was estranged from his son and he wanted to restore that broken relationship. But he'd lost touch with his son and didn't know how to contact him. So he put an ad in the paper, a personal ad in the paper, and said, Paco, meet me tomorrow in the, time, in the town square. All is forgiven. Next day at noon, there were 800 Pacos that showed up in the town square. <laughs> Each one of them looking for a restoration of that broken relationship and fellowship with their fathers. Folks, God intended for the fathers to play an influential role in the lives of her children. This baby mama stuff is just a bunch of junk. That's an invention of the devil. There was a, and, and the influence that we have on our children is not always known. There was a, a very famous and successful uh, individual in the previous generation that was very sought out for public speaking because of his achievements and and so forth, and and every time, I mean, it was pretty much the same speech that he'd give to any, you know, no matter what group he's talking to. And he would talk about the impact that his father had made on his life. And he singled out one day specifically, particularly, uh, that that his dad took him fishing. He said, my dad was a businessman. He was very busy. But one day he took me fishing. And all the things he taught me on that day when we went fishing, it just had a, um, just a turning point in his life. And so uh, there was a, a reporter, a journalist that had uh, that was familiar with this guy and, and had heard him speak many times and had heard this story. And so it, it occurred to him uh, to, to try to find out from his father. His father was dead at that time, but to find out from the father, you know, what did how did he see or perceive that day if it was so important, and so life changing, and and uh, was the launching pad for all the achievements that this guy experienced. Well, some way or another, he had to keep some kind of daytimer, diary, journal, whatever for his, uh, his business. And, uh, and they found that date and looked on the calendar and the, the father had written, took my son fishing, a wasted day. Well, was it a wasted day? Certainly not. But the father had no idea the impact that he was having on his son when they were doing something that he considered to be a lower priority activity. You never know what's going to make the impact or make the difference in somebody's life. You know, I I think a lot of times we as men are task-oriented. We approach things as as a job that needs to be finished and moved on to the next thing. Parenting is the one thing that never, that you never move on past to the next thing. Being a godly father and a good father is something that you never move past. Now, folks, there are exceptions. And I, I, I hesitate. One of the reasons why I don't like Mother's Days and Father's Days and stuff like that where messages are concerned 
is because you wind up, no matter what you do, you wind up leaving somebody out. I'm looking at the crowd and thinking, well, you know, half the crowd is men, half the crowd is women. So what are the women going to get from this? And what about the women that are single moms? How are they going to perceive this? I don't want anybody to feel like I'm throwing rocks or condemning anybody or or saying there's no hope or or, just whatever somebody might take from it. And you need to realize there are all kinds of exceptions. You look in the Bible, most of the people God used were people that didn't have fathers. We don't have any information about Moses and his father. We don't have any information about the impact that, that Joseph had on Jesus' life. We know that God picked Joseph because he was just man, because of his attitude and, and uh, his unwillingness to put away Mary in a public manner when he found out she was pregnant by the Holy Ghost. Well, that would have, must have been some kind of story for her to try to explain to Joseph. I'm pregnant. Well, whose is it? Well, it's God's. Yeah, okay. But even before the Lord spoke to him, even before the Lord appeared to Joseph and gave him any kind of direction and assurance and confirmation that the story that he was told was true, the Bible says that he was a just man and not willing to put her away publicly. So his character had to have something to do with God's choosing them. We look at it like God chose Mary, but he chose Joseph too. But what impact did God, did uh, Joseph have on Jesus' life? We don't know. We don't know how long in Jesus' life Joseph was alive. He just disappears from the scene. So there are all kinds of exceptions. I'm an exception. I didn't follow my dad into the things of God. I started following my dad into some things that got me on the wrong track. But there are two things that I attribute the change in my life to. Number one, through my mother's influence, I got saved when I was real young. So I grew up knowing God and knowing the voice of God on the inside all my life. But secondly, and more importantly perhaps, is that God put another man in my life that could be a father to me. He taught me about the things of God. He taught me how to know God. I knew the voice of God. I knew the presence of God on the inside. But he taught me how I could know what God was like. He's the one that influenced me. Now, how did he influence me? Well, his teaching influenced me. And I'm talking about Brother Hagin. His, his teaching certainly influenced me. But anybody can get that. You can get that by tapes or books or any number of media means. But that's not the thing that did it. It was the influence that he had upon me. Folks, that's, that's the thing that, that the Lord has always impressed upon me. When, uh, when my kids were born, I was doing my best to try to find every opportunity to teach and stuff like that. By the time my kids were old enough to know what I was doing, they didn't enjoy it because everything was a learning experience. And finally, the Lord told me, quit trying to teach them and just influence them. I thought, well, what? What is that about? Think of it like this. Think in your mind... The five messages that have changed your life. Probably can't come up with five. Probably think of one, maybe two. Now tell me the five people that have changed your life. That's easy. It's the influence that we have on people that makes a difference. It's the influence that we have on people. Douglas MacArthur, who was the 
supreme commander of the Pacific Fleet and the Pacific Forces in World War II, had a very distinguished career um, in the military and, and uh, was such a soldier, such a military genius that he had to be removed by President Truman uh, during the, the days of the Korean War, the Korean, well, not war, they didn't ever call it a war, but Korean conflict, because he wanted to take on the communists. After he defeated the, uh, or came to the resolution, came to the place that they did in the Korean War, he wanted to, to deal with the communists. He could see the communist threat that was coming that we face today and that will impact the world in the, the last days. And he wanted to go against the communists, and, and Truman wouldn't do it, so Truman had to relieve him of command. Well, the, the country almost revolted because he was such a hero. But in 1942, he was, na- he was named the National Father of the Year. I guess they did things back, that, back in those days like that. And, uh, and his, he made some comments about it. He said, well, he said, I'm a soldier by profession, and I'm proud of that. But that's not what I want my son to know me from or for. He said, I want him to know me as a dad in the home. And that made a big impact on the country. Everybody thought, oh, isn't that sweet and all that kind of stuff. But he's still our guy because he's the, you know, general leading the forces type stuff. After his death, his family published uh, a prayer that he had written um, during the beginning of World War II. And it was something that they found in his private papers and didn't know about it until after his death. I want to read this to you. This is the prayer that Douglas MacArthur wrote in 1941 he said build me a son O lord who will be strong enough to know when he's weak and brave enough to face himself when he's afraid one who will be proud and unbending in honest defeat and humble and gentle in victory build me a son whose wishbone will not be where his backbone should be a son who will know thee and that to know himself is the foundation stone of knowledge lead him i pray not in the path of ease and comfort but under the stress and spur of difficulties and challenge. Here let him learn to stand up in the storm. Here let him learn compassion for those who fail. Build me a son whose heart will be clean, whose goal will be high, a son who will master himself before he seeks to master other men, one who will learn to laugh yet never forget how to weep, one who will reach into the future and and yet never forget the past. After all these things are his, add, I pray, enough of a sense of humor so that he may always be serious and yet never take himself too seriously. Give him humility so that he may always remember the simplicity of greatness, the open mind of true wisdom, the meekness of true strength. Then I, his father, will dare to whisper, I have not lived in vain. Well, I don't have any reason to doubt why this guy would be a good candidate for Father of the Year. Now, the, the one thing the Lord really put in my heart about this and, and the thing that, uh, that I want to share with you is I think the number one, if I had to pick one characteristic, and I'm sure there are, you know, a dozens, but if I had to pick one characteristic about godly character or godly a godly characteristic that would make the difference between fathers and sons and making and making building the right kind of son it would have to be respect now the bible calls it the fear of the lord but that's what it is it's respect 
Because if sons follow their, if children, not just sons but daughters too, if children follow their fathers, that means they learn to have respect for what their fathers respect. Now again, don't get me wrong. Children grow up and they make their own decisions. They make their own choices. You could preach this from a standpoint that any wrong decision a child makes becomes the responsibility of the parents, particularly the fathers. And that's not true. Children can make their own choices. But the Bible even says about children that make wrong choices, they'll come back to the right ones. I look at Jesus, and it's interesting that many of the people that the Bible uses, that God uses to tell us about right relationships with our children, never had them. See, so many times the idea is you can only preach to somebody if you've experienced something. If that's true, Paul had no business talking about children in marriage. John tells us about fathers and children. We don't know that he ever had one. God uses, particularly in the New Testament, God uses a lot of the people, most of the people that he did use, we have no record, no information whatsoever about their family lives. And I wondered about that. Why would God not use somebody that that we can see as a great example? For example, we see Paul's example for serving God. We can follow that one. Why don't we have an example from somebody that was a great dad? Why don't we have somebody as as an example that had a great marriage? Why doesn't God do that? Because it's not about somebody's example. We're not supposed to follow somebody's example as the baseline for our relationships. Because the baseline of every relationship is God and his word. Whether somebody else made it work or not, God's word is the key issue in every case. That's why the Bible talks about respect or fear of the Lord being respect unto his word. Over and over again, the Bible says, keep the commandments of God or keep his statutes and fear the Lord. And it talks about a lot of the benefits and a lot of the blessings that come as a result of the fear of the Lord and keeping the fear of the Lord. Long life, honors and ri- honor and riches and, and uh, so forth, being satisfied and not visited with evil and such. But it comes down to your respect for the word. I've seen so many times, we've been pastoring now almost 30 years, it'll be 30 years in uh, January. And when you, I mean, you do anything for almost 30 years, you, you stumble on a few things. Looking back, I, I realized how little I knew about what I was doing when we started. But you learn as you go, like with anything else, I guess. And over those years, I've seen how that some people, some parents, gave very little attention to the, to the place or the influence of God's word upon the lives of their children. But then when their children started getting older and making wrong decisions, then they wanted to turn everything around. It was too late. By then, the children were already following the parents. And in many cases, it was the mom that was in. And, and you look at churches. Our church is really an exception as far as the numbers and statistics are concerned. We have a much higher percentage of men that attend and are involved in the church than most churches do, particularly Pentecostal churches. Pentecostal churches historically have three to one women to men. That's not the case with us. Now, I think there's a lot of reasons for that, but the biggest reason is because of the Word of God. I never wanted a squishy Christianity. 
I mean, the Christianity that I heard a lot of preachers preaching and teaching about and stuff like that, I didn't want to be like that. I got to tell you, folks, even the idea of turning the other cheek rankles me. But it's an issue of pride. That's what turning the other cheek is about. Until I learned that, I had a hard time with that scripture. Because I don't want to turn the other cheek. I want to win. I even rationalized that scripture. Okay, if somebody smites you on the cheek, turn the other cheek. Okay, but after that second blow, you better look out. (laughs) It's a guy thing. But you teach a a defeated Christianity... That's just an example uh, and not even a good one. But you teach a defeated Christianity. Men won't stay around. You teach that Jesus was some meek and humble guy that always took it on the chin and never stood up for himself. Who wants to follow that? Instead, Jesus was the one that walked in the middle of the Pharisees and said, you're a bunch of hypocrites. And then walked through the middle of them, them wanting to throw him off a cliff and they couldn't touch him. Man, that's my kind of guy. I want to do that too. So I think there's a lot of reasons, that being the biggest one. But so often, you still find moms that want to keep, that see the importance of keeping their kids in church and want to keep their kids in church, but the dads won't come. And then the kids start following the dads. And then many times the dads wake up when the kids are in their teenage years and they say, well, we've got to change this. We've got to turn this around. So then the dads start showing up. Well, the kids know that's just a show. The pattern's already been set. Already been set. In other words, the children respect what the dad respects. And no matter what mom says, no matter what the preacher says, no matter what the Bible study or Sunday school teacher says, They know that there's something about this that doesn't ring true with dad. So if it doesn't ring true with dad, maybe I shouldn't swallow it either. Dads have an influence on the children's life just by showing up. They tell a story about a little girl that that went into her dad's home office. Said, Daddy, Daddy, come, come uh, come look, come see the picture that I drew. He says, okay, honey, I'll be there in a minute. About 10 minutes later, she comes back. Daddy, daddy, come see the picture that I drew. He says, okay, honey, I'll be there in just a little bit. Well, two hours goes by, and then he finally gets up and says, oh, my daughter wanted to show me the picture. So he gets up, and he goes out to where they are. They're still in the front yard playing. So he says, honey, show me the picture. So he looks, and she shows him this picture that she's drawn with watercolors and real pretty pictures, mom and her sister and her and the dog playing out in the front yard. Picture of the house in the front yard. He said, well, honey, where am I? She said, well, Daddy, you're in your office working. That was a turning point in his life because he realized that for the people that meant the most to him in life, he wasn't even in the picture. Literally and figuratively. I look at Jesus and I see that Jesus made certain statements that showed that he cared about what God cared about. When he said, I only do what I see my father do. Now think about that. Jesus is the one. Jesus is literally the creator of the universe. The Bible says that apart from Jesus, nothing was created. Nothing was made. Apparently, 
there's a very specific division of labor between God, between God the Father, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit. God the Father is the planner. It's his plan of redemption, the Bible says. The Holy Spirit is the agent that works in the earth that carries out the, the, the plan. But Jesus was the creator himself, according to what the Scripture says. So here's the creator of the universe submitting himself to his heavenly Father. Now, I don't understand everything about the deity and the, the trinity and, and so forth. And, I don't, and anybody that, that I've ever heard try to explain it that said that they did understand it didn't sit right with me. So I'm not sure that anybody really does in, in completeness or totality. But God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are all co-equal. So why is one above the other? There's only one possible answer, and that is by choice. See, the Father didn't precede the Son. That would make Jesus to have a creator himself, and that's impossible. So here's Jesus operating on the earth, the creator of the earth, walking around in the earth that he made, having laid aside his heavenly power and glory, and he said, I only do what I see my Father do. I only say what I hear my father say. What does that mean? Well, to me it says that he has respect for his father first and foremost. Now, Jesus could have done anything he wanted to. He could have gotten to the Garden of Gethsemane and said, you know, I didn't plan for it to be this tough. I'm, I'm choosing a different way. But that was the point that he said, Father, if there is any other way, let's pick that. But if not... Not my will, but your will be done. I see Jesus in his relationship with the Father as showing great respect in a, in a variety of ways. It's interesting to me, the older I get, the more I'm, I'm able to, to perceive things and put things in place that I used to not recognize. I can see the difference in my relationship with my Heavenly Father now than it was when I was 30 years old and even younger. And when I was younger, it was all about the emotion of the relationship. It was all about my feelings toward God. Well, now feelings toward God mean nothing to me. I don't care whether I've got a feeling or not. Because my relationship with my father is based on something that's a lot more solid, a lot more stable than feelings. It's based on truth. And the word of God is truth. When I was... um, well, I'll, I'll use this in the, as an example. When I got around Brother Hagen, and um, the relationship developed, so I started calling him Dad and was, was pleased and privileged to do so. And there were uh, just a handful of people that, uh, that I knew of, at least, that had the kind of relationship with him that, that the Lord gave me with him. And... Uh, as such, I, I was really proud of that. And I was not above rubbing somebody else's nose in it either. And the first time uh, I was working with Brother Hagen, the first time that he had me do some announcements and stuff like that before um, the, or during the service and, and that kind of thing, the first time I called him dad in front of everybody else. And as soon as I did it, man, my heart smote me. On the inside, it was like, 
how dare you do that? And I had that kind of relationship with him. I, I called him dad all the time to his face. But I had shown him through my youth, through my inexperience, I had shown him such disrespect in front of other people by calling him dad rather than calling him Brother Hagen or Reverend Hagen or any number of names or titles would have worked. And man, I, I mean, I just stopped dead still. And I corrected that instantly. It was an embarrassing thing to do because I showed how foolish I was. But I had no choice. Well, that's how my relationship with God used to be when I was young. When my relationship with God was young and undeveloped, it was all about the emotions or the feelings that I got. And I see people doing that now and, and young people doing it today. And, and I understand, bless their hearts. I, you know, this, I don't know that it's anything to really correct or, or you know, make an issue of. But I know a lot of people make a big deal about Jesus calling his father Abba. And the Bible says, Paul wrote to the church in two letters to the church. He said, we've got the same relationship. Well, what does that mean? That means some people will say, well, Abba is the Greek word for daddy. And it's close. But a lot of people focus on the intimacy of that. And thank God we have an intimate relationship with our Heavenly Father. But where do we see that in Jesus? We see it in one private moment when he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's the Holy Ghost that gave us a record of that, not Jesus. When Jesus is representing his Father, he calls him Father. In one place, he even calls him Holy Father. Always showing respect. Always showing respect. Because he cares about what matters to God. Don't you know Jesus had many opportunities? In fact, he told his disciples, there are a lot of things I could tell you. But you can't bear them now. Wouldn't that be a great time for Jesus to bury those guys with knowledge? Wouldn't that have been a great time for Jesus to show what he really knows that they have no clue about? But that was not his purpose. His purpose was to represent his father in the manner that pleased him. His father and not just himself. So for me... Fatherhood comes down to respect. I have a responsibility to train my children to know that I respect the things of God more than anything else in the world. Now, what are they going to do with that? Well, I hope they do right things with it. But even if they don't, they'll always know that my respect for God was the path that I laid for them. And that's a path that they'll have an opportunity to follow all the days of their lives. Folks, we have an opportunity to influence people. I'm glad Brother Hagen was willing to take on one more child. I'm, willing, I'm glad he was willing to let me in. I have no idea where I'd be if he hadn't. We always need to be open to opportunities that God might set before us. You never know what kind of difference you can make not only in your own children's life, but in the life of somebody else. I wonder if God would be able to say that of us as he did Abraham. For I know him. I know what he'll be like with his kids. I think that's one of the most valuable things we can have in life. Amen.
Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it's true. Thank you for the privilege that we have to influence others according to the changes and the path that the word of God has set for us. It's a privilege, Father, for us to have children. You could have set this thing up any way you wanted to. You did not have to make man with the ability to have children or to raise them. But you chose to do so. And what a privilege you brought into our lives. The benefits that we gain from the relationships that we can establish with our children. But Father, you know people's hearts and you know the situations they're in. There are people here that perhaps they can't have children. There are people here whose relationships with, with their children have been broken or strained or whatever the case might be. And you're the restorer. So Father, we ask that you would repair those estranged relationships. That you would show us what steps we could take to make them right again. And Father, in the cases where people have no children, bring them a spiritual child. Bring them someone that they can influence. Someone that they can be a father to or a mother to. And influence for good. Father, we see the work of the enemy in the world around us. We see the acceleration of his work and know that the time is short. We see also, Father, even as you said in your word, that a work of the last day church will be to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to the fathers. Repair homes, Father. Repair relationships that have been broken. Bring the fathers and the children back together. We ask in Jesus' precious and holy name. Let us be a godly generation, Father, by choice. And Father, we pray that our children would go much further than we've ever gone. They would succeed in things that we've never succeeded in. That they would know you even more than we do. As they follow our example. To seek your face. Father, we want more for our children than we want for ourselves. Because of the heart of love that you place within us. Thank you, Father. For the privilege to be godly mothers and fathers. I thank you, Father, for the godly men that you've given this church. I thank you that their heart is to put the things of God first, to live by your word. I thank you for the blessing that is theirs because of that choice. I thank you that you make good on your word in every aspect of their lives. In Jesus' precious and holy name, amen. Amen. Praise the Lord.
Well, thank you for letting me share my heart about some things. The benefit is we get you to the restaurants before the Baptists. Let's all stand. Have a wonderful Father's Day. If you can come back and be with us tonight for prayer school and healing school, we invite you to do so. Have a great day. For those of you that aren't around your parents, make sure to give them a call. Tell them that you appreciate them and you love them. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.